0: We're going to try this. If it doesn't work, worst comes to worse, I run over to the house and print it off, and I just have the guys sing a song while I run over to the printer, and we do it old school. Okay, uh, we'll see how this goes. Welcome back to our fifth week covering the book of 2 Timothy. We're actually going to be in chapter 3. Today is going to be about, well, it's supposed to, if everything works correctly, it'll only be about three to five minutes longer than a normal sermon, because I realized as I was writing the sermon, I had like two more paragraphs and I could finish the entire chapter and I was like, let's go for it. So it'll be like three to five minutes longer and I'll actually, I'll I'll do the entire chapter if everything works out well. So I'm not completely sure uh, if the uh, screens are going to work out or not. But this week we are looking at chapter three and this means that we have finished obviously chapter two. Now, as we closed chapter 2, we finished off the final of Paul's seven analogies. In chapter 2, he had seven different analogies that he was using to help us to understand a deeper, godly Christian character. He was trying to get us to understand a character that would actually increase our lives and grow our lives. And so he was trying to help us to understand the deeper truths of mature Christian living. last time he covered uh, the final three, and we looked at the workman, if you weren't here, the workman, the vessel, and the servant. Now through the analogy of the workman or the worker, which came uh, from our memory verse actually, uh, we saw Paul point us towards diligence in our study as Christian workers, as a man and woman of God, as we followed him and his leading. and cautiousness, how we viewed ourselves and we grew in knowledge, not to be to become too head full of our knowledge. Not to, not to become all of a sudden too confident in what we knew. Also, through the vessel, we were reminded that we are to be used by God. And first, we have to empty ourselves of sin. We actually, if God's going to use us as a vessel, we actually have to get rid of that which is in our old life. The sin. And to not only just drop it, but to walk away from it. To completely get rid of it outside of our lives. To replace And he said, actually, uh, at the time, he gave us uh, an idea, and I don't know if you've ever been here as you're growing in your Christian walk, he gave us the idea of the replacement principle, that when we leave something, we empty ourselves of sin, getting rid of that out of our lives, sometimes it's best to refill with something else. Um, Like, uh, many smokers will find another habit to do to replace that smoking habit, so that it doesn't happen again. And in many ways, Paul was actually introducing the replacement habit, and he showed us qualities Specifically, that all pointed towards Christ, to be able to focus on and point us towards, and through that, the qualities of love and pursuing peace with other men, especially those who are of the faith. Uh, Jack, um, I'm not sure if actually taking that off air would be better because it's glitching like crazy, and I'm not sure if people... Uh, are going to be able to watch that. There you go. I don't know if I can actually continue with my notes or not. So uh, good thing you guys have your Bibles, right? Because you guys are going to need your Bibles today. We're going to go old school. If it's not working, hopefully I can actually still go through my slides and look at it. I cannot once it is off air. Can you put that back on air? We're going to try this one more time. If it does not work, we are going to go nuclear into plan B. So we'll see how this goes. So through the vessel, we were looking at those qualities that God was showing us. And finally, he gave us the analogy of the servant. Uh, And the servant reiterated the point again and again throughout our time together that we're to be a humble people, that we are to be people who avoid foolish disputes and what he called idle babblings. Paul's desire was for his son in the faith to well, as well as the church and all reality for us as a whole, to become men and women who purposely pursue knowledge of God. Men and women who stand for the truth no matter what the consequences are. Men and women who are mature, who show the world the true transformation power of Jesus Christ in our lives. Now, chapter 2 centered around our memory verse, which is, does anybody know our memory verse? Anybody got it memorized? It's 2 Timothy 2.15. Be diligent to present yourselves a worker approved to God. A worker. Sorry, I said a worker first. That needs not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. It's a beautiful verse that I am having trouble with this. Uh, Do we need to go to the option B? It's going to be one of those days. I, I don't have an answer for it. Okay. Okay. He's doing some weird stuff. Right? Okay. Um, okay. And we've tried uh, rebooting and everything. Okay. So what we're going to do is go nuclear, and we're going to go option B. Uh, that means, uh, Mike, I need you and the team to come up and to sing a song while I go do something else real quick in the background. Is that okay? Oh, okay. Is it okay if we shift some things up? You're giving me an option. Yeah. I'm, I'm, giving, you, I'm giving you an option. <laughs> 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 Your choice <the> song. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> okay. Things are going to look a little bit different today. Uh, This is uh, what happens rarely. I think this is the first time it's ever been this bad. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to disappear for just a second. They're going to lead in song, uh, and then I'll be right back. Okay. Well. Good teamwork. Good teamwork. Go team. Absolutely. Actually, speaking of teamwork, so we just had a movie night uh, recently here at the church the other Saturday. This isn't part of the sermon. This is a freebie uh, because everything's going crazy. Uh, And the team is growing, and they're growing in their faith. And uh, the coach says, you know what? We're going to praise God uh, when the times are good, and we're going to praise him even when we lose. Uh, And we're going to praise God no matter what. And thankfully, my computer, which normally hates me, uh, actually works. So, you know, little blessings. So we're about to find out how well I can actually keep your attention without all the visual graphics. So I guess this is the real true test of how good I'm at with this. You guys are going to want your Bibles on this one. So we were looking at our memory verse, which is 2 Timothy 2.15, which is, Be diligent to present yourselves approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Anything in life, you've probably found out, anything worth doing in life this includes our growth in Christ, does not come easy. Your enemy, the devil, does not want you to grow. He especially doesn't want you to grow to the point where you can be used by God to tell other people about Jesus. He does not want you to get to the point where you start telling other people about your faith. He will give every single reason in front of you to stop you. He will try to stop you with bad health. He will try to stop you with a car that just won't start. He will stop you by... Ruining your slide projections in the middle of a service when you completely rely on it and do not have a printed copy because you expected it to work. He will do something to try to ruin your day and he will stop you in some way. And this is partly why you will have trouble in your life, but it's not the only reason trouble will come. Did you know that? Sometimes hard things come because the devil wants to stop you, other times God allows things into your life because he wants to grow you. In fact, James, chapter 2, verses 2 through 4, says these words. He says, My brethren, as James writes, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. It was Joseph, the young son of Abraham, after being sold into slavery by his own brothers, no less, who would one day say, What you meant for evil against me, God used it for good. Because he recognized God's hand even through the hard days. God only allows that which into your life ha- has the potential to grow you. He only allows that into your life which has the potential to grow you as a Christian. But this only happens if we take our eyes off of ourselves and allow ourselves, instead of focusing on our problems, to focus on his potential and what he can do. God has opportunity for growth that is laid before us, and I don't know what the future has for you. And it may not be easy. It might be hard. But whatever it is, don't forget that God has not, nor will he ever leave you. That whatever you may face, you don't face it alone if you have Christ in your life. Our job is to leave the future to him and to trust him as he guides and directs us. Speaking of knowing the future, Paul today is going to start talking about the end of times, which a lot of people are always asking, can we know more about the book of Revelation? If you ever do a survey, you know, what are the things that people want to know more about? They're always like, I want to know more about the book of Revelation. Today is your day, if you've ever answered that on a quiz. So we're going to be talking a little bit about that. But I have a fair warning, it gets a little bit deep for a minute, so you'll have to bear with me. Um, Now, we've covered some of this before, and we're going to be covering yet again today. We're going to go over the topic of the last days in our message. So today, our title is for those who desire to be godly, for those who desire to be godly. So let's start by looking at verse one. If you have your Bibles open, your Bible app, either way, I'm going to be reading out of the New King James, as I normally do. He says, but know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come. So in the verse directly before this, just in case you weren't here last time, Paul was talking to us about learning to have patience with men and women who don't accept the truth of God, about having patience with them and still persistently pointing them towards the truth, even though you're having patience with them pointing them towards the truth even when they don't see it. Some of you have probably been praying for somebody for years, and they still don't see the truth that you keep presenting to them. And it's that kind of patience. And Paul is saying, have patience with them. You never know. God might one day use the seed that you've been planting and let it finally see the light of day and to sprout into their lives and to be used in their lives. And he says there are some things that are going to happen. Two things that we need to pay attention to this verse. It says, there are last days, which is going to need to be defined. What do you mean, last days? And then also perilous times. So we're going to define what are last days and perilous times. So first, what are last days? Last days, biblically defined, is a term that's used throughout the Bible consistently to refer to the events of the rapture or just leading up to the rapture. And what we call the rapture in church uh, doctrine and theology. Remember, last time Paul again reminded us, and he corrected us, uh, he was actually correcting false teaching. These guys were saying that the rapture had already happened. Uh, these two guys were preaching false truth. He's like, no, this hasn't already happened. Don't listen to these two guys. He actually named names during this time. And he said, don't listen to these two men. Uh, they were Hymenius and Philetus. And they said, and uh, was really showed us last time in chapter two, that the church, the early church, looked for an imminent rapture. Uh, or a day that we would actually be pulled up. And Jesus actually talked about this same event in Matthew chapter 24, verse 40, when he said, Then two men will be in a field, and one will be taken, and the other is going to be left. Later on, in the same chapter, Jesus would again talk about another event we call the second coming, but that's for another day. I don't want to download you with too much information in one spot. We don't know when it's going to take place And this time is going to be an incredibly important time in church history and the history of the world, actually, at this time, because God will not only be taking his spirit from the world for a time, he'll be taking his people as well. He'll be taking his full presence away from the world to allow the world to live the way that they want to for a time to show them where that living will lead them to. Now, there's more that we learn from this one sentence, he says last days, but he also says perilous times are going to come. So why is this important? Like I said, fair warning, we're going to get deeper. We won't stay deeper too long, but I did want to actually cover this. If you are interested in the book of Revelation, this will help. So if you stay awake and stay with me, this will lay some of the groundwork for what's happening there. Not a lot, but it'll actually give you some structure. Um, So with that said, has anybody ever heard of the terms amillennialism, premillennialism, and postmillennialism? Really big words. You may or may not have heard of those before. I can see some nods. Some of you are at least semi-familiar. Other people are gotten blank stares like, what in the world is he talking about? That's fine. That's why we're here in church, to learn together. Okay, so each of these words refer to different times that people think that Jesus will bring in the millennial kingdom. So millennial means a thousand years, millennial reign of Christ. So they all refer to the time that Jesus will be reigning on the earth. Different Christians have different views based on the way they interpret the Bible. And I actually want to define those for you so when you run up against those, especially if you ever get into the book of Revelation, you won't be confused. Hopefully, you'll be able to make sense of everything. Now, the three basic views start with millennial. Now, when you put the letter A in front of a word in English, it actually says no or not. So if you have A in front of typical, it becomes atypical, which is not typical. Or if you have Gnostic, which means a person who believes in God, put an A in front of it, becomes Agnostic, which means a person who does not believe in God. You guys tracking so far? So Amillennial means they don't believe that there's going to be an actual millennial reign of Jesus on the earth. Now, with that said, uh, what they believe uh, is there. And then we have Post-Millennials. Post-Millennials, they have a different time frame. Um, they actually believe that this time period is really just an extended time, not necessarily a thousand years, uh, where the gospel is just so well accepted that everybody comes to faith in Christ. And God looks down from heaven; He's like, "You guys brought heaven on earth. This is great. Let's just start this time now." And so God comes down. That that's really what post-millennialism believes: that the gospel comes out in such force that everybody is just like, "Wow." I can't believe I didn't see this before, and everybody's accepting Jesus. The problem that we have with the post-millennial view, ultimately, is that Paul just said perilous times. And he just said that this thing's not going to go well at the end of days. Does that sound like heaven on earth? No. No, it doesn't. And it doesn't fit with what we believe is a theology, what we teach as a church Pre-millennialism is what we believe, and we hold to these things that things are going to get so bad, think of our world right now, things get so bad that the gospel will become so watered down, so rejected by the world as a whole, that very few believers are going to be left on the earth. So few believers that God's going to pull out the few believers that are remaining, and they're going to be left uh, alone. The world will be left alone without believers for a time, without his spirit on the earth. And we call this period the tribulation. So God has pulled his spirit and his people. If you're a believer in Christ, you have the Holy Spirit with you. So when he pulls his spirit, guess what? You get yanked with the spirit because you're a believer in Christ. So there's no believers left on the earth for a time. And he allows the world to walk through because the world says you can get to heaven any way you wish. God's word says there's only one way. So God's like, fine, you think you can get to heaven? We'll let you try. Pulls out all the believers and he lets them walk through and it gets bad to worse very fast. Now this happens before the millennial kingdom, the tribulation time. That's why we call it a premillennial. When Paul talks about this today, he's going to reinforce this theory quite a bit. So that's the deeper part of the subject. Now we're going to get slightly later. So hopefully you've kind of made it through with on that part. Beginning in verse 2 and going through verse 5, Paul's about to list 19 characteristics. So We're going to kind of We're going to kind of breeze through them. We're not going to spend too much time on each individual. We're going to kind of clump them up because he goes through 19 characteristics of what are going to be happening in the last days. So if you've got your Bible, you're going to look at 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 2. He says, For men are going to be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful and unholy. So in just one verse, he listed seven characteristics that we can expect to expand and to get worse as the last days approach, according to Paul. So this is what Paul is telling us. He's saying that these are coming. Now, first he says that men are going to be lovers of themselves and that we're going to live in this age and that all these men are loving themselves. We live in an age of technical marvels. Have you ever noticed all the cool things, the gadgets that have come out these days? Think think of all the stuff, the inventions in the last hundred years. And we have all these devices. I actually grew up in an area where Radio Shack existed. Anybody remember Radio Shack? Okay, early 2000s, all of a sudden Radio Shack disappeared. Anybody know why? The invention of the smartphone. Okay, so we have the smartphone was invented. Early 2000s comes out, Steve Jobs, Apple, all that fun stuff. They had the other ones. But as soon as this one came out, all of a sudden, Radio Shack disappeared. Why? Because most of what they sold on their shelves could now all be accessed from this one device. We, we have a device, most of us in our hands, some of us in our pockets, right now with you, uh, that uh, mine actually has a tuner on it. I tune uh, my, my guitar, my son's ukulele, my banjo. Uh, it's got a GPS on it. It's got a compass on it. It's got a fraction calculator. I mean, it's amazing the things. It's got a level on it. All of these functional things that are really amazing, and you know what we use the most, the most used app on the entire thing? It's the camera. We use the camera the most, it's the most used thing on the entire device. So let's do some camera trivia, okay? We all take pictures with our smartphones or with our, you know, if you don't have a smartphone, you have a digital camera, so you take pictures. So in what order, okay, you're not going to see a visual. Normally, I'd have a visual for you, so you got to imagine points one through four. I keep it simple. What is the most common, okay? I'm going I'm to give you four different things, and you're going to have to think, what is the most common of these four? Is it pets? Is it cars? Is it people? Or is it food? I'll say that again. Pets, cars, people, or food? Give you just a second. Hear, I'm here in a couple people. Okay, so... Selfies. Actually, we're going to get there. We're going to... We're stop. You're giving away the message. <laughs> she, read, she read the notes. She read ahead. Don't listen to her. Okay, so first is people. Uh, according to Google's photo service, approximately 92 million pictures are taken every single day that are selfies. Um, it was first people, then food, then cars, and then finally pets. People, food, cars, and pets. That's actually what Google's photo service tells us as the photos that they're seeing through their streaming service. And they said that 92 million pictures are taken every day of ourselves. 92 million of them. According to their... Uh, So it's better known as selfies. And according to the site, average 24-year-old... Average 24-year-old will spend 54 hours a year taking selfies. That's seven minutes a day looking at themselves and taking pictures. This is straight from Google's website. I found it on their thing. Girls approximately will double boys. Girls, you take twice as many vanity shots as the guys do. We are obsessed with ourselves, unfortunately. But Paul doesn't stop there. Paul continues on by saying that the people are going to also be lovers of money. The American dream isn't necessarily all about money, but it sure does circle around it. You ever notice that? I need just enough to be completely well off, and then I need just enough just in case something else happens. You ever notice that? Like, like it's just always, in all reality, it's just always out of reach. That's the American dream. Just in case any disaster strikes Paul continues on by saying that men are going to be boasters of themselves and their accomplishments, that they're going to be a proud people, and that they will be blasphemers. Interestingly, as I was reading a commentary, the author said uh, blasphemers is better actually translated railers. Railers is an old word we don't use too often. He was an old guy, so it made sense. A person who rails, you ever heard that term before? Someone who goes off the rails, rails. It's not a word we see too often, and bitterly, it means someone who bitterly complains. Someone who bitterly complains is a railer uh, if you're talking about somebody. They're known for their vehement denunciation, somebody who always is denouncing other things. They're a person who brings out change by brute force, according to Webster's. Anyone know of a people group that is often characterized by what they are against and that they're always complaining? Anybody think generally of a people group today, of of a people group that unfortunately is mostly known for what they stand against and that they always complain? It's the church. The church unfortunately today as an overall is known best for what they stand against and for complaining more than anything else. Unfortunately, that is the American church these days. Paul continues on by saying, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy. I've met a people who have so much, uh, and you've probably met people who have so much, but they seem so unthankful. It seems to me, and it might just be me, I've met people from different walks of life as I've gone through. I'm um, 40 years old now, and I've lived all throughout the states, um, and I've noticed one core thing. People who have very little typically are more thankful for what they have than people who have a lot. You ever notice that? It's very Interesting. The people who have the least are the ones that are most thankful. And in verses three and four, if you look in your Bibles, he will say, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Interestingly, on all of these 18 characteristics so far, there's still one left. He focuses on where? The focus is on self. All of these people have the same thing in common, that they've chosen to focus on their selves rather than focus on God. Almost as if all of the other qualities come because of that. Like, if we choose to focus on us, then this is where we're going to inevitably go, towards all of these other 18 characteristics. Paul wraps up this list with the 19th and final characteristic in verse 5. You'll want to look at that. He says, having a form of godliness but denying its power, and from such people, turn away. Hold up. Now, did Paul just say that this is the religious that can be this way? Yeah. Actually, he said they have a form of godliness, but they don't actually hold to its power. This is, he's talking about the religious crowd. Religion can try to make yourself look Good. Uh, Following religion often leads to that which makes us more and more focus on ourselves. Jesus was really against the religious crowd in his day. In fact, he was so offended by the religious crowds um, because they said that they followed God, but they really didn't with their hearts. They, They followed him with their actions and what they did on the outside, but their hearts were far from him. Jesus once said in Matthew 23, verses 27 through 28, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear beautiful outwardly, but inside are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanliness. Even so, you also outwardly appear as righteous men, but inside you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Religion is a trap. Can I say that in church? Religion is a trap. It looks good on the outside. It looks polished and clean, like you're in control, and it's a sure thing. However, it's anything but. Pursuing religion for religion's sake leaves you empty. It leaves you focusing on the outside appearance. And this is why Jesus went right here. Instead of being this monument of perfection, you end up becoming a mausoleum full of dead things on the inside. What I find interesting is that in Jesus's words that we have recorded here, we look at the Pharisees and scribes and we can easily like we can point it out like yeah obvious couldn't anybody else see these guys are a bunch of hypocrites the way that they're living. We see them. However, unfortunately, we too can be fooled in this trap. And he even points it out in the next couple of verses. If you look at 6 and 7, he says for this sort or all those who creep into the households and make captives of gullible women loaded down with sins, led away by various lusts, always learning, but never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Paul says that this can happen in any home. Paul says this can happen to anybody who ends up being gullible enough, especially those who are loaded down by the weight of sin in their lives. When you feel the weight of sin and you're just trying to escape and don't know how, this can happen in any home. Christ is the answer. But so often we forget that Christ is the key. Paul, ever the good teacher, decides to use real-life, practical examples, and in doing so, he's going to point Paul, back, uh, Timothy, back to the Word of God itself. And he says, in verse eight and nine, now John's and Jambrays—I don't know how to say John's—I'm just going to say it that way, just pretend like it's real—resisted Moses, and so do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds disapproved concerning the faith, but they will progress no further, for their folly will be manifest to all, as theirs was also. So Paul points back to clear scriptures that are in scripture, uh, examples that are in scripture. And he uses these men who tried to get closer to God, but they didn't follow God's expectations. They tried to do it their own way. They tried to subvert Moses and his teachings. Religion is like digging a hole, trying to get away, but only to have the dirt keep falling back in and filling the hole back up. Every single time you try, everything slowly slides back in. It becomes a never-ending cycle. Jeans and Jambres attempted to get closer to God, and they resisted the truth. But what did Paul say was the outcome? He said their progress will no further. Their folly is going to be manifest to all. All the effort, and it got them nowhere closer to God. So if focusing on ourselves won't fix our problem, if acting like everything's okay won't get us any closer to God, what do we have? How can we avoid Paul's gargantuan list of side effects, 19, 18 of them so far. Well, Paul points us in the right direction in verses 10 and 11. He says, but you have carefully followed my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, perseverance, persecutions, afflictions, which have happened to me in Antioch and Iconium and Lystra, what persecutions I endured, and out of all of them, the Lord delivered me. That's verses 10 and 11. I've got the wrong page. I'm sorry. I'm not used to using paper. Almost done. He says at the very beginning of verse 10, carefully follow my doctrine. Carefully follow my instructions. In another place in First Corinthians, he says, follow me as I follow Christ or imitate me as I imitate Jesus. That's 1 Corinthians 11.1. 1. Paul says to his protege, don't be sucked into the trap of religious living. Don't be trapped into thinking that somehow you can solve your own problems that you are the end all solution to the sin in your life he says follow my example and look what i have done in my life so what did paul do in his life he trusted jesus christ he trusted jesus christ with everything he laid his life down at the feet of jesus effectively saying it's yours jesus use it as you wish he offered his life as a living sacrifice in the book of romans paul writes these words in romans 12 1 and 2 beseech you there brothers by the mercies of god that you present your bodies a anybody know this one living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove that which is good and acceptable in the perfect will of God. This is the mantra that Paul lived his life by. Oh, we're working at the moment. I'm just going to finish the notes. I've got, I've got, I've got about five minutes left. If you guys can go with me for the next five minutes. Our relationship has to be built on a complete trust in our Lord and Savior. That's where it has to be based on. That's what Paul was pointing Timothy back to. He says, I based my life off of faith, and it brought me out of every single situation. Notice that he says there that you have to be a living sacrifice. You know the problem with living sacrifices up on an altar? It gets hot up there. You ever notice altars are meant to burn things? So living sacrifices tend to hop off the altar because it gets too hot. Paul tells us through his letter and to Timothy to look at his life and to read and to watch and to think through the way Paul acted and know the dangers that Paul went through, the way that he trusted God, and God brought him through every single one of these. In verse 11, he talks about the persecutions that he endured, all of them the Lord delivered him out of, even though, where's Paul right now? Do you guys remember? He's in jail right now facing an execution sentence. That's why he's writing this letter. And he still references these times. And he says, even though I'm facing this now, God has been faithful. And I don't regret a single day trusting my life wholly to the Lord. Paul says that he has hard times and he has trials and persecutions. They're going to happen in your life. In fact, if you're a believer, it's a definite fact. Hard times are going to come. Look at verse 12, 312. It says, yes, and also those who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Paul says that if you choose to live a godly life following Jesus, you're going to suffer persecution. Anyone who says otherwise hasn't read the Bible. Anyone who says if you just had a little more faith, then life would be better. If you just had a little more faith, your marriage would be better. You'd have a better looking spouse and you would drive a nicer car. They haven't read the Bible because that's not what it says. Again and again, they deny its power. They look religious, but they deny the power of the devil. How do I know? Because... Verse 13, he says, But evil men and impostors are going to grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Paul tells us that the lies are going to continue to come as the last days come towards us. He even goes so far to say some of the people that are going to be persecuting you are going to be deceived themselves as well. They won't even know the truth. They'll be deceived into what they're doing. In the last four verses, he closes out this chapter are really the crux of the matter. And we'll finish this up over the next couple of minutes. He tells an incredible truth in 14 and 15. But you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing of whom you have learned them from, and that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. He says, continue in what you know. Continue in the teaching even when everything starts falling apart. Even when life goes sideways, revert back to what you know. That is a sure thing. Don't walk away from it. Salvation is only found in one place, and that's through faith in Jesus Christ and the Scriptures. We try to fix everything on our own, and it doesn't work. So lastly, he says, and I'll finish this off. He says some incredible things in 2 Timothy 3, 16, and 17. He says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. All Scripture. All means all, and that's all all can mean. All Scripture. We don't get to cherry-pick the verses that we want to have in our Bibles. We don't get to follow some and ignore the others. This entire book, and I actually have a book in front of me, so this entire book was given to us for a reason. God gave us the entire work for a very specific purpose. Don't dismiss part of it right now just because it doesn't make sense. Don't say, well, we don't really need that. You ever been in a place where you looked at your Bible and you said, Why in the world is this even in here? I've I've been there. You you look at it. But unfortunately, there are so many that look at it and they just say, well, I'm not going to do that. It's like a kindergartner who wants to be a construction. You ever met little kids that want to go into construction like dad? And they find a geometry manual, which is too advanced for them at the moment, and they color it and crayon it, and they tear out the pages and ruin it. But later on, you realize if you ever go into construction, you really need to know how to know your geometry. And we as immature Christ followers look at the word at times and we say, well, that has absolutely no value to me. Don't throw it out. Just because you don't understand it now doesn't mean that one day God can't use it in your life. Wait, be patient. Trust me, the time will come. One day where it will become valuable to you. That is why it's there, because it might not just be for now. It might be for later. Now today we've actually made it through the entire chapter. We've run a little bit long. Thank you so much for bearing with me. We've worked through all of Paul's words as he showed us what the end of times is going to bring. He reminded us where focusing on ourselves will only lead to all of this destruction. It's gonna be self-destruction on all reality. He says, this is what happens. And so he gave you that, that character list in five, six, and seven. This is what happens when you end up focusing on yourselves instead of focusing on God. Without Jesus at the center, it will leave us empty, looking pretty on the outside, but completely full of death on the inside like a mausoleum. So I have two closing questions for you. Number one, have you ever tried to get closer to God on your own terms instead of his? Have you ever fooled yourself into thinking that somehow you could earn your way to God? Like if you cleaned yourself up just enough, by just did a little bit more for him, you could earn your way. Scripture calls this religion. And it tells us that it's going to leave us dead inside. That's exactly what Jesus said. The only way to God is through faith in Jesus Christ. Place your faith in Jesus Christ alone. Are you willing to trust him with everything? Second question is, have you fallen into the trap thinking that there are parts of God's word that just don't belong? Not going to lie, I've been there. Especially as I was earlier because there are some early parts that just make no sense if you don't understand context. They say that the Bible really means basic instructions before leaving earth, B-I-B-L-E, basic instructions before leaving earth. You may not understand it now, but don't count it out. Remember, all of scripture has been given to you for your growth. Trust the Lord in his timing. One day, it'll all make sense. Let's close in prayer. Father, I thank you so much for this time together that we were able to just work through your word. Lord, I just ask that right now you store up these words in our lives, and Lord, even if they're not applicable right now, Lord, help us to one day recall them and to use them. Help us to implement them. Help us to be a people who trust you day by day, even when things are slow, even when things are hard or even going downhill, and it's been downhill for months. Help us to still trust you and to know that you have not given up on us and that you still have a good plan for us. Father, I ask that you use these words in our lives. Lord, help us to go out and tell others about them. Lord, help us to trust you. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, this is Pastor Jake. I just wanted to take a moment to thank you for listening to these messages that we put online. I do pray that these are helpful for the times you just can't be with us in person. I want to remind you that this recording is never meant to substitute God's good plan for you to be in a community of faith where the word of God is being preached and proclaimed. We are told by scripture to gather together so that we each belong to a local body of believers where we are being shaped by being known by using each of our gifts and walking faithfully in God's word. So thank you again so much for listening and growing with us. I hope you enjoyed today's message.